follow me so I can keep on stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul and each episode me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. Uh, welcome back to the Playing Footsie podcast. We are on episode four of uh, the Playing Footsie podcast. And today we're actually going to talk about the UK. We're actually going to talk about the Footsie, Footsie AIM, Footsie 100. We're going to talk about some UK stocks because we've noticed that uh, we haven't done that yet. Uh, today with me, we've got Steve D, Steve W and Zach uh, talking about all things FTSE. Uh, you guys had a good week. Any good stocks going for you, going well for you at the minute? Yeah, fantastic week. And uh, coincidentally, it was one of my FTSE stocks that, that outplayed the rest of the, the stocks in my, uh, my portfolio. Well, we'll get onto that one in a minute, I'm pretty sure. But I want to talk about Steve D because is it two weeks ago now you talked about Dermtech and uh, yeah, I regret not following that information. <laughs> yeah, um, Dermtech has has uh, agreed a contract with um, is it Blue Apron Insurance in Texas, Blue Cross or Blue Apron uh, Insurance? It's, it's another big uh, feather in the cap. So they've now got Texas and California, two states on board, and uh, their price has rocketed up to. 70, 75, 76, it looks like it's going to open tomorrow, which is uh, Tuesday in the 80s, so that'll be nice. I'll be up nearly 600%. (laughs) 600%, oh my god. Oh, so annoying. Uh, Congrats and f*** you, I think, is the uh, term that we need to say there. (laughs) Thank you. <laughs> All right, so today uh, we want to talk about a bit of the UK news. Um, UK at the minute, uh, Bojo's face I'm looking at right here. We are getting the vaccine done at the minute. And is that going to be good news for the UK? Is that going to be good for the UK in general? Uh, is that going to be good for the FTSE market? Or is this just a non news event, basically? I think it's got to be good for the UK in general. Um, how it plays for stocks, I suppose, is slightly uh, tricky. I had a look at how things on the FTSE went today a little bit. It sort of feels like we're in for a really interesting week on the FTSE coming up because there's a big announcement coming sometime in the week of the 22nd. That's been scheduled for a while. And there's a decent amount of trying to sort of second guess ahead and see what's coming on that, I think. So I'm expecting some interesting moves around in the FTSE this week. So yeah. I'll head to the budget, I think, now. I think that's what we're waiting for, is uh, everybody's waiting for the, the new budget. Are we going to get stung on capital gains? Is there going to be an ISO allowance, ISO allowance lift? Um, I guess we wait and see. I'm hoping for a, a, a stamp duty extension. That'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Not having any capital gains that are like 650% Dermtech things. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was it. I, um, I saw it. If anyone saw the... Um administration report on that they were on about bringing capital gains down to really really low something like two thousand pounds of capital gains allowance uh possibly i'm screwed up- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah you've all done very well in your gia so uh <laughs> well you guys are just gonna get absolutely screwed um i'm gonna do an episode on tax actually uh coming up um very very soon because i think this year a lot of people uh probably most people have made exceptional gains and could be eaten into that tax and uh, we've got to worry about that especially for next year because if next year the capital gains allowance is down people's capital gains this year could really be affected by that so that might be something to think about in the future but yeah it could be as rishi wants to drop it as low or could drop it as low as uh two thousand pounds capital gains uh could be a real problem but the gbp versus the usd has gone up pretty high as well i think it's at uh, 1.39 at the moment and that has gone up a lot against the us dollar is that because of brexit being going really well is brexit going really well no um 
I think it's mostly got to do with the uh, money printing situation at the moment. Basically, that they, they, the pound is strengthening against the dollar because the dollar is printing. Um, there's more quantitative easing in America. There's, there's a hell of a lot more quantitative easing in America. Um, Britain seems to have come out of this relatively relatively well. I think the, the test will be when the furlough scheme ends. Um, I think we, uh, we maybe have a few zombie companies in the UK that are becoming less and less... Um, less and less viable really but time will tell with that yeah that's it it's probably more down to the us dollar weakening against everyone else rather than the gb pound doing really well um what does that mean for our footsie companies then has anyone got any good footsie companies that they want to bring up at the minute um that they want to talk about that could do really well even though the FTSE 100 and UK companies in general haven't really done very well over the past few years. One of the ones that could do really well out of it is a stock that I think three out of the four of us own, which is legal in general. Now, I don't want to get too much in depth to why that would be a good thing for them, but basically most of their investments are held in in dollar securities, but paid for by pound, and they've got such um, such a lot of weight behind them that they can they could leverage the the weakening dollar to um to really help them oh, yeah i hadn't thought about that with legal in general actually you've brought up a really good point um a lot of people focus on legal in general's real estate uh portfolio being at risk especially with the possibility of say a housing crisis coming up or something like that or even like the move from office to home Legal and general could be a little bit exposed that way, I suppose, but I've never actually thought about that. They could be really leveraging on uh, the currency uh, really bouncing back. And But will it? Will it bounce back? Will the US dollar bounce back versus the GBP? Is that is that ever going to happen? Didn't, uh, one of the reasons that the um, pound strengthened was because of the vaccine. And and once that kind of news dies down again, wouldn't it can normalise back to about one one dollar thirty, as it as it has been in the past few weeks and months. The the thing about vaccines is it doesn't really matter how many people you vaccine in your own country when it's a worldwide pandemic. Um, everybody needs to be vaccinated. It doesn't really matter if the UK is open for business because the vast majority of our large FTSE 100 companies, um, they trade all over the globe. Um, and if you if you get back to work in the UK but you can't sell to anybody abroad then there is there's no good so vaccine news is is just good news um it's not good for business at the moment what about the actual currency though what do you think on the currency uh does will the US dollar come back or is is it just is it just dead dead to bitcoin the um <laughs> The, the dollar has been strengthening against the pound for for a rather long time, and that's a trend that if you if you pop onto your chart on Google and turn it to max, you'll see that that is um, this is a mere blip um, in the in the dollar's continued strengthening. Is this something you guys think about much when you're kind of thinking buying US side versus buying UK side? I mean, it's not so, it's something I tend to think will kind of all come out in the wash if you leave it for long enough. And if you leave it for a short period of time, it's not going to make a massive move one way or the other in the foreseeable. So I tend to not worry much about pound-dollar exchange, where that's going, where that's been, those kind of things. You know what? I didn't. I really didn't when I first started. In fact, I probably wouldn't have even considered it. I just went, okay, straight in. Let's buy some US companies. Um, And... Like when I use eToro on the eToro account, that's all in dollars and you don't really notice any difference there. But I imagine when I convert it out of dollars, I'm going to see a bit of a problem there. On Trading 212, they made it very, very obvious. Uh, They did an update probably a few months ago to help people because so many people were complaining that the charts didn't line up properly. And they showed you just how much we're losing on fx if you bought in april last year uh you would probably be what 10 10 percent down mm, now 10 to 12 percent yeah yeah 10 percent down on fx and there's absolutely nothing you can do about that you need the us dollar to strengthen or the gbp to weaken versus it for you to get 10 percent of your money back but like you say long term 
it's always been a fluctuating trend. The US dollar has always grown against the GBP. And I don't see that changing anytime soon, personally. Uh, it's just a, one of them things I think you've just got to wait it out, right? Okay. The, 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 as you can say, the US companies tend to outgrow the FX changes anyway. So it's still not worth holding and buying in your native currency over... Well, holding and buying the FTSE, you would have earned nothing last year. Holding and buying the S&P, you'd have earned 40% and lost 10 in FX. I think nearly everybody could see that, where the deal is there. Yeah, that's great. But what about... Okay, so what about FTSE companies? Because FTSE 100 in particular trades worldwide you've got lots of companies one of the companies that i wanted to talk about today was rio tinto rio tinto is a mining company that uh basically trade trades all all around the globe are these mining companies are these other companies doing very well at the minute just because of this exchange in dollar or are these companies actually any good is rio tinto would you say that rio tinto is actually a very good mining company and has a lot of growth in it the definition of a good mining company is uh, a company that can get something out of the ground and sell it to somebody else for more than that costs. And the spot price is incredibly high at the moment um, for pretty much all materials. And the issue with uh, a high spot price is, is that when, um, for instance, gold gets to $1,800 or what have you, um, everybody can afford to get gold out of the ground for that price, even the worst grades of gold you can afford to get it out. And what happens then is you end up with a flood in the market and that starts to drive the price down. Um, at the moment, Rio has very good cost, very very good cost control. Um, it generates a lot of cash. You can see that on its, uh, on its quarterly reports. Um, so I don't think they're particularly at risk of a, of a fluctuating gold price. There's plenty more companies that will not be able to afford to mine their gold before we get to worrying about Rio's costs. Yeah, so just to explain that, the spot price is the price of the commodity that the miner is going after. And Rio Tinto in particular is mostly after iron, uh, iron ore. So recently, Rio Tinto has done very, very well because the price of its stock generally tracks the price of iron ore. And iron is doing very well, like many, many other com uh, commodities, simply because China for some reason, managed to get rid of the virus very, very quickly and open up very, very quickly. And China now is leading the way in construction. And that's why iron ore prices are very, very high. Copper, uh, I just wanted to talk about um, Rio Tinto with copper because that's where I saw Rio Tinto going next, into copper, into ESG, into uh, environmental services. It's actually had quite a bit of bad news on its latest copper mine uh, this week. Um, I think it's Mongolia, uh, this copper mine in there, which I'm not going to pronounce. It's it's a crazy name that I can't pronounce. But they're actually planning on shutting down. It would have been the fourth biggest copper mine in the world if they had, had carried on the, position, um, the permission to build that copper mine out. But it might be that that's down. And that's a risk that miners have with these mines is that they're very controlled by regulation and local governments and what i've seen a bit of risk in rio tinto even though it's um it's quarterly reports are coming out in two days and they're going to be very good there's no doubt about that they rio tinto has done absolutely brilliant this year it's smashed it uh we just don't know that right now if rio tinto and other mining stocks are a buy but what's pretty good is um exploration uh mining stocks and i think someone asked you a question on that the other day didn't you steve uh about the mining stocks on exploration yeah so it was basically leading on from uh, a comment steve w made in the last episode about mining and the question was um how do you estimate the lifetime of an explorer or a junior miner's mine and i think this is probably sort of quite a pertinent question at the moment because a lot of people are, are really going after those speculative junior miners the penny stocks um and the answer in short is that you can't um there's no way of working it out um what you're looking for in a junior miner and this can take five to ten years to even get this this report is is called the mineral resource estimate and it's literally a document that tells you how much of the thing you're trying to mine is in the ground 
that's the only point in which you can start to make a valuation on uh, a junior miner. Um, everything before that is is speculation. So um, I hope that answers the question. Yeah, have you actually looked into any junior miners recently? Um, because a lot of people are after them, right? Uh, uh, shout out to Nick, who's a friend of mine. Um, he's into Jangada mining, uh, and I think he's doing very, very well on that one. Have you looked into any, especially of the UK ones? So I tend to stay away from them nowadays, um, but basically that's how I sort of started stock picking was was really looking at the the speculative kind of stuff but one of the ones that has caught my eyes is ecr minerals um and they're based quite near to um greatland gold site which if anybody follows mining is probably one of the greatest gold finds uh, or soon to be one of the greatest gold finds um at least in the last decade and and ecr have found something that is uh seems to be equally of the same size um but we're still three four five years away from actually knowing what's in that ground that's it it's still very very speculative and it's very hard to find out what the cost or the price or the value of all those minerals in there is going to be yeah and uh, the high chance they'll just go bust <laughs> yeah that's it they'll they'll go bust trying to figure it out right paying uh, seven hundred thousand pounds to the ceo and the director in the meantime and yeah <laughs> speaking of miners and uh this is a different kind of miner. I think Zach's got uh, a, a stock from the UK that's a little bit smaller. What you got, Zach? Um, so the mining pick that I want to glance over or shed spotlight on um, is Argo Blockchain. Now, this is one of the up and newcoming kind of UK stocks, and it's um, listed in the uh, um and it basically piggybacks off Bitcoin. So they have some, uh, I believe it's Zcash as well. Yeah, I just want to explain that um, this stock is on the FTSE AIM. It's different to the FTSE 100, which is the makeup of the top 100 companies that trade on the London Stock Exchange. This is AIM, which is Alternative Investment I forgot what the M means. <laughs> market, um, I think. Market is market, isn't it? Oh. Uh, a lot less, um, a lot less, I guess, volume as well of uh, mm -hmm. of, of shares. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of um, people I know have issues with kind of buying this stock, and they're always kind of saying, "Oh, trading two and two is having some issues," and we're moving over to hard greens and land down. But but yeah, uh, I mean, it, it 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 is what it is, I guess, and and they are trying to uplist onto the Nasdaq as well, just to help people out. It'll probably help the uh, share price out in the end, but yeah, it's pretty. That's probably pretty good to explain. Actually, is the trading two one two, and other other um, brokers will have problems trading this uh, security because it is so small. It is so uh, that there, there just aren't enough shares to go around being bought and sold that your order will get traded straight away. So you've got to be. And that's a worry with these low liquidity stocks. That's what we call them, low liquidity stocks. Um, they, it's very hard to sell out of them when things are going bad, right? That's probably a good risk uh, point that we need to make here. Uh, because when you're trading on these small FTSE AIM stocks, the liquidity is hard to get out of. I think uh, a famous friend from... Well, he wasn't in Hargreaves and Lansdowne, but he was on Hargreaves and Lansdowne. Neil Woodford made that silly, silly mistake. I don't know if anyone else saw that he's starting up a new fund this week. Uh, I follow Neil Woodford. <laughs> quite. Yeah, he started up a new fund this week and he started with, I'm sorry. But uh, Neil Woodford... Oh, is the name of the fund? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but Neil Woodford got into a lot of low liquidity stocks and when they started to go down, he couldn't get his money out. And that is your problem in the market if you're trading these pennies, if you're trading these low liquidities. They, if they go down, it's going to be tough to get your market out. But sorry, uh, Zach, uh, let's let's continue going on with Vargo. Yeah, I think I think it's um, really important that you stress the kind of the um, the risks risks associated here with Argo itself as well. Um, but recently, it's had a big run up. Um, it's had some good news uh, go its way. It's um, bought up, I guess, hundred twenty acres in Texas. Now, um, the land will cost itself seventeen and a half million, but it's being funded through the issue. <laughs> 
of new shares. Um, so they they're kind of playing it really s- s- simple and safe, but um, and they kind of know what they they kind of uh, want uh, with, with the future of uh, of the company itself. So why 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 Texas? I mean. If you, if you look at um, the rest of the big companies, um, I mean, Tesla and Elon have uh, recently moved to Texas. Um, I think the the area itself is incentivizing um, companies to kind of uh, um, situate, and it's almost called the New Silicon uh, Valley of 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 the of the USA. Yeah, I thought we were gonna. I thought we were gonna avoid Elon Musk in this in this one today because we spoke about him way too much. <laughs> I think because he's also in that space as well in the Bitcoin space. I think he was. It, it was inevitable for him to kind of pop up. Um, but more importantly, why are they in Texas? It's because they want access uh, to the cheapest kind of renewable energy sources uh, worldwide. And I think. Um, Miners get a lot of stick um, because of the kind of high energy um, costs and uh, a lot of uh, Bitcoin miners. Let's be let's just be clear on that one. We're talking about Bitcoin miners at the moment, uh, not digging in the ground miners. We're talking about Bitcoin miners. The way you make new Bitcoins, the way you make new any new currency, cryptocurrency, is that you have to solve the problems of the transactions. And when you need tons of energy, yeah. Yeah, when you this takes a lot of computing power, which takes up a lot of electricity, and uh, you're saying that Texas is are they considering that as a as a cheap energy area at the minute? Is that what we're going for? Yeah, apparently it's one of the uh, cheapest in the world, actually. So, I mean, they were they're already um, in in a cheap area in uh, in Canada, but they've gone one step ahead now. Uh, so they're really kind of pushing on. And because they've got a lot of uh, cult following as well, um, they they've been transparent in how how they kind of be more efficient and trying to keep the en- energy consumptions down as well. But to be yeah. fair, I mean it, 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 it's a case where they're going to start bringing up more machines. So um, they've 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 added four and a half thousand more uh, Bitmain machines. So they are going to compute a lot more. In fact, I've got some uh, numbers now. I'm just going to put it in context. It's mad to think that Texas is the place now where everyone is going to to be progressive, uh, going to ESG and going to Bitcoin. How how has it happened that Austin, Texas has become the center for this all and LA isn't anymore? Is it? It's just because of the taxes, um, right? Yeah, Texas has yeah. zero state tax. California has really high state tax. I think that's got at least something to do with it. Yeah, everyone's migrating towards the the low tax zones, aren't they? And, and... it's accommodation price as well, isn't it? Silicon Valley. Um, you know, you, you pay for a sleeping bag on a bench. It'd be about fifty grand. So um, <laughs> Austin's not the same. Yeah. So, so they're making uh, use of um, solar power for for powering these uh, these new machines as well. Um, so. They are in total is eight hundred megawatt of power that they they're able to harness on this land now. Um, so they'll have two hundred megawatts operational in the next twelve months, uh, which should help the uh, boost the uh, mining capabilities. I mean, to put it in context, in November they mined one hundred and fifteen bitcoins. That's more than Mara and Riot, which are their um, two, I guess, competitors. Uh, or alternatives that uh, investors can uh, jump into. But um... I'm trying to figure out how much that is in Bitcoin today. That's uh, Bitcoin's just touching fifty today, weren't it? So uh, I'm terrible at mental arithmetic, and everybody knows that. I think. <laughs> uh, sorry, on that point, um, Paul and Zach. In fact, both of you. I mean, when I did a little bit of looking at Argo blockchain, the kind of stuff I was reading was at the moment people seem to think it's basically a bet on Bitcoin, and it's highly, highly sensitive to Bitcoin's price. So just as someone who doesn't do much thinking about these kind of things, what's the kind of main reason to buy a miner in the Bitcoin case rather than just buying Bitcoin outright? Because, I mean, at least in the case of Bitcoin, you might not get the same low liquidity and you might be able to run away quicker if it turns downwards. I'm going with this one first and Zach might be um, might have a totally different argument to me. But me, there isn't. 
you have there is no reason to buy a bitcoin miner over bitcoin because they directly track the price of bitcoin and all you get in my opinion when you buy a bitcoin miner is bitcoin minus expenses and so it just cannot be more uh, attractive however they are in other coins um i don't know what the uh, I don't know what Elon Musk is doing with Dogecoin at the minute. I have absolutely, I can't work. Back on Musk again. I, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I know we're going off topic now, but um, just on the um, the Dogecoin, um, I read on uh, Twitter that he's trying to get a big institutional buyer in Doge Dogecoin. I don't even know how to pronounce it. To be fair, but um, Doge. The, the... Yeah, I use it as Doge. Dogecoin. So they're trying to get. Um, he's trying to convince the the inst- massive institutional buyer, which is not Elon, by the way, uh, in Dogecoin, to to get out of there, so just so that they can kind of um, play it themselves, as opposed to um, getting the rest of the you know the crowd jumping in, and then next thing you know that big player is going to come out, and then you know where does Elon stand in in the grand scheme of things uh, with Dogecoin? Yeah, drop 45% on that news. The idea is that they're trying to get rid of that big institutional investor who must be the dumbest person in the world. Um, (laughs) And the idea is that everybody thinks that this institutional investor is going to jump out now. It's going to drop the price massively. So they're all getting out. And I can only see that causing a collapse based on speculation. Uh, Not that Dogecoin was ever of value anyway. The coin gets made, a new coin gets made every day or something, or it might be even every hour. The coin is devaluing very, very rapidly. It, it, there's no point in owning it. It's, it's, it inflates constantly. Uh, Bet Neil Woodford will buy it. Yeah, probably, probably right at that high liquidity. I was going to say, I mean, the only thing that gets produced faster than that, Steve D's bathwater, I think. (laughs) <laughs> Steve D. Bathwater uh, on sale now. I think going back to the uh, the the mining versus um, the coins itself. I think with 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 the miner, um, like um, Paul did um, touch on, is the fact that they're able to kind of um, move in between different coins, um, and and obviously because it's the crypto space, and new coins come every day. Uh, you'll still see lots of different coins, and some 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 might work uh in the case of dogecoin not um so i mean it, with miners it's a case of them, um competing against with themselves with their own margins i guess there's quite a few different players now there's uh, a few players from china and we've got uh, one of our own from the uk and, and some from the us but i think it's just a case where how efficient are they at making their coins um i know Bitcoin is just one coin, so if it does go up and down, it's extremely volatile as a as opposed to someone who's more diverse diversified. And also, we we're not taking into account the acquisitions um, miners are able to pick up as well um, in the kind of the blockchain scene as well, not just the coins. Um, so it is quite diversified when they kind of um, acquire more business, and I think that's what they are, these small miners are playing. Um, I do know Argo has uh, picked up um, a kind of a cryptocurrency um, data company. So so there's a lot of different um, scope for, for, for these small player miners. I mean, why why did I pick Argo? Um, it's got roughly three times the hash rate. Um, so basically, which is the mining capacity, how powerful it is at mining Bitcoins. Um, than the marathon uh, patent which is uh, mara but mara is three billion uh, market cap whereas argo is only 675 so even on just market cap it's a lot smaller um, but it is a lot more nimble and powerful um, when it comes to uh, mining coins yeah that's what i will say about argo is argo congrats to argo on that one because it's amazing to see that finally the uk has a company that might be at some sort of cutting edge of the future because that is just something that the UK has lacked. We have absolutely no big tech companies. We have we we have largely nothing as far as tech goes. Uh, there's a little bit in hydrogen, but other than that, we've not really got much going on. We'll move on at the minute now. Uh, Steve W, what have you got? 
nothing that's sort of tremendously exciting. I thought I'd talk about a nice kind of drinks-making consumer defensives company. I've been having a look at Fever Tree over the last few kind of weeks and months, and I've been having a good chat about it with some of the guys on the uh, Discord that we all talk on a bit. Fever Tree are an interesting kind of bunch. They were growing quite quickly. Um, They make sort of premium tonic waters, mixers, those kinds of things. They are, by all accounts, very good. Uh, They've won various awards. They're about the only tonic water that I actually like in gin and tonics. I'm not a massive gin and tonic drinker, but even I can kind of stick up for this product a little bit. Um, Even though I kind of don't think a differentiated product's kind of the be-all and end-all. Are you telling me that you're invested in Fever Tree because uh, you like the drink? You like the taste of the drink? No, I'm telling you I'm (laughs) invested in Fever Tree in spite of the fact that I like the taste of the drink. Uh, Gin and tonic's not particularly my market, but if you do like the taste of the drink, go and buy some. Um, One thing that does kind of catch my eye, though, is they've obviously been kind of compressed down quite a bit by COVID. They supply a lot of pubs, a lot of bars, a lot of trade um and that market's been whacked in the last year or so so they were growing nice and quickly until sort of 2017 they were doing about 70 percent year over year revenue growth which is quite a lot uh then they kind of got to a stage where they'd more or less saturated the uk market and started expanding their way outwards in the past year things have fallen back a little bit because their uk trade stuff is down but their uk off trade stuff is up their US stuff is up, their EU stuff is up, their rest of the world stuff, which is mainly Australia and Canada, is up pretty nicely. They released in January a kind of early trading update. They're not due to report their end of 2020 results till March. Um, and things look sort of reasonably strong on these kind of things. The gin and tonics market has a, a decent tailwind blowing behind it. You might think there's pent-up demand coming back for pubs and bars and that sort of thing when we get reopening news, see what happens next week. But I think they might be sort of towards the back of the queue, uh, pubs and bars in the UK for reopening. Um, and the general trend for sort of millennials seems to be going in this direction away from beers towards spirits, towards premium mixes, that kind of thing. So uh, they have no debt. Their margin's slightly better than their competitors like Britvic. And the price is a little bit high at the moment. Um, I've got a position in this that's a small one. I'm kind of looking to build it out, but it's a bit higher than I'd like to buy it at the moment. So... That's kind of where I'm up to on Fever Tree. I've got a fun story about this one, actually, because <laughs> I happened... I, I used to uh, invest in Diageo, uh, which is another company which has been severely suppressed. Uh, I've moved out of that because, uh, weirdly enough, I met two CEOs of very, very large companies by chance. I can't tell you how and I can't tell you who. Um and one of our so it's uh, a swingers party <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is, a, is it's one of those exclusive clubs darling <laughs> keys um, in the jar <laughs> uh, but they they and what i can tell you is they haven't got a clue what's going on they really really they are just as unknown and this was uh, this wasn't just FTSE 100 companies this was one of these was a leading S&P 500 company. This is this was US. Uh, and they It definitely honestly, wasn't Elon, was it? <laughs> it, it? It definitely... Trust me, this guy couldn't have been further from Elon. <laughs> oh, God, I hope he never... Uh, I hope I never get seen... I, I hope this never gets seen by said person. It could be really bad. Uh, but... They seem to have absolutely no clue what was going on. They had no idea how many pubs were coming back. They, one of them was very, very bullish and said, oh yeah, all the pubs will be back. And the other one was like, oh, I don't really know. And I think the news out there now is that pubs and clubs, there's going to be less of them when we come back out of lockdown. Uh, That's in the US and in the UK and probably Canada and things as well. And based on my meeting with these two people, I decided I needed to get out of the drinks industry because they didn't have a clue. One of them actually told me that gin was going to be very popular in the next few years. And I was like, gin? Gin was popular three or four years ago. You know, we've seen loads of girls on Instagram going, oh, happy times with friends. Like, they didn't have. They have not got their finger on the pulse. They haven't got a clue. And these were CEOs. Um, these weren't. These weren't middle management. They, 
these were big, big people, and I, it's a shame I can't tell you who. It was. But, you, know, you know, one of the one of the most popular drinks in the U.S. at the moment is is um, they call it hard seltzer, mm. and that's essentially alcoholic water. so this is the kind of market we're talking about and this is fever tree right fever trees seeing hard seltzers come in right is it fever tree that's pushing the hard seltzers brew dog are pushing hard seltzers quite a bit at the moment Mm. Uh, are they and and this is literally just alcoholic water right this it's alcoholic sparkling water yeah one of the companies that's got the the main i think they've got the main three or four brands is um boston beer company I think the ticker is Sam's. I think Steve and I looked at that at 400 and then then at 500 and decided it was overvalued. And it's now, I think, 1100. So what do we know? Yeah, I know. It's so hard when valuing these companies and you just don't know where it's going to go. But obviously everyone thinks the hard seltzers are coming. Uh, And I guess everyone's going to be drinking alcoholic water uh, in 2022, 2023. Got some Robinsons in it. That's basically an uh, alcohol then, isn't it? <laughs> isn't that um, isn't Robinson's owned by Britvic? Is it? Ye- oh God, you're asking a question there. I think Britvic uh, only did it. Britvic own all of Pepsi's distribution in the UK, don't they? That's an interesting yes, little tip bit about Britvic. Yes, yeah, they do. It's um, Britvic actually a very good and long-standing company, uh, and it's not. What's most important is it's it's alcohol adjacent. So it doesn't actually have to rely too much on the pubs and clubs. Um, so th- that might be a company that, that can do very well as well. I haven't really looked into the numbers on that one, though. Fun random fact, um, we were, there was a company I was working for. They were going to buy the brick factory uh, only because there was a fresh water stream underneath going underneath the factory. Um, but, yeah, they couldn't, they couldn't close the deal. Where's brick, where is BrickFit based? What? just out of interest is it can i say this can it, it was near huddersfield yeah all right so yeah it so was it was in the motel it's up to north somewhere okay so next up uh steve d what you got for us have you got any good company left i've got two um and they're both from the aim so i'll i'll, I'll get over them um, quickly um the first one is keyword studios their ticket is um kws they're a, a video game company. They were formed in 1998, so they've been around quite a bit. Um, and essentially what they do is they're, they're sort of subbies for the game industry. So say you're making a game and you don't have anybody to um, do some sound design for the menus for you or whatever, you would subby that out to Keyword Studios and they would um, they would produce the, the menu sound for you. Um, other things like localization is quite big for them. So say, for instance, you've made a game in... in japan and it's in japanese and you want to release it to the uk you tend to want to put a dub on it or you tend to want to convert it to um, the local languages and keyword studios can do that for you so they're a pretty decent sized company they've got about ten thousand employees they've got 60 studios now um in 21 con uh in 21 countries four continents um They've they've worked with some pretty massive game developers. It's kind of the who's who's of, of game developers, your EAs, your Square Enixes, your Take Twos, Ubisofts, even Tencent and Google. Um just off the top of my head, some of the games they've worked on are the Division, Mortal Kombat, Mass Effect, um, and Assassin's Creed, which I think we've probably heard of. I did like Assassin's Creed, I thought that was a great game. These are big titles for a small studio, right? Yeah, so basically they're only providing an aspect of that, remember. So um you know, it may be something like they just helped out with the assets. They may have helped out with character design. They may have helped out with just some dialogue and things like that. Um, their, their model is very much growth by acquisition. Um, in the last six months, they've acquired six companies, which is um, which is kind of odd, really. You don't you don't often see um, see that level of acquisition. But if if you look at the history on their website, you'll see they they acquire a company every sort of two to three months. Um, is this like um, if these acquisitions kind of on demand in a way uh, so say a studio comes to them or a, a games company comes to them and goes oh we can't draw pigs like can you find someone that draws pigs and they go i, I know a company that can draw pigs i'm going to go buy them is it something like that it's a little bit like that yeah so they're basically their their idea is um 
they want uh, the studio to be as localized to the main studio as possible because they, they, they get direct line of communication that way. So they've tend to found that they've been buying studios literally all over the place. They can almost cover the world now um, in terms of in terms of studios. Are these like big companies or small companies? They tend to be, they tend to be small companies. Okay. So basically, companies that focus say, on a particular uh, asset. I was going to say it's not just a couple of guys with the. Um... Uh, a snowball microphone, right? And no, no. Really... <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's buying this. <laughs> um, so one of the things I quite liked about them is that um, it's um, studios like this, especially when they're buying up more and more and more studios, tend to, at some point, want to make their own game. And this was um, sort of apparent with the, well, one of the, the biggest ones I can think of is the studio that made Warframe. Um they basically were keyword studios. They they produced assets for other games. Um, they they focused on sound design. They focused on a bit of um, character design. And then one day they decided, you know, to hell with this. We're massive now. We've got tons of studios. We've got tons of assets. Let's make our own game. And and from that, Warframe was 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 built, which is probably one of the biggest free to play games around at the moment. Yeah, I think. Yeah. On Steam, it was massive. Yeah, yeah, it was massive. I remember this. So some risks for you. Um, I spotted um, the price to earnings ratio is uh, 130 at the moment, um, which is oh, that's just normal these days. That's nothing. That's absolutely nothing. It. But their Q on their Q on Q revenue growth is only about 14 percent at the moment. <laughs> so they definitely don't deserve that premium. Um, they've got a two billion market cap. The gross margins aren't too bad. 37 percent. Um, you know, so there is an opportunity to earn some money maybe when they stop buying everyone. Um, They've got £218,000 worth of debt and they've got £100 million of cash, which is kind of an odd stat. I don't really understand why. You must like, you must like speaking to the bank manager. <laughs> That's um, not you know, the risk, is it? <laughs> no, it's just in the random stats of the company. Oh, it might be a target for burglars or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the... Uh, the last sort of interesting fact about them is that they pay probably the smallest dividend I've ever seen. It's 0. 0.069. Yeah, you got me. Cleavatory is 0. 0.53, I think. Oh, good. Is, um, go on. is this one of those growth companies like that provide dividend and, and claim to be the fastest growth <laughs> dividend company? Yeah, you could grow that dividend at 100% for quite a while and it still wouldn't be anything. Um mm -hmm. One of the other companies I was looking at was Tremor International. Um, so they're from um, the Israel tech sector. They're an ad tech company. They specialize in connected TV advertising, which is not really something we come across in the UK, but in the US it's pretty rife. Um, so connected TV advertising is as it sounds. It's a TV that is connected to the internet that is streaming some form of content. Basically, they take your data, your viewing habits, they offer that out to um, marketers who bid on the content and obviously try to get their ad placed um, with the with the, the viewer. Um, so it's a demand and supply model. They run both sides of it. Um, one of the interesting facts I saw was that they acquired Unruly from News Corp last year. And part of the deal, it was an all-stock deal, um, part of the deal was um, Rebecca Brooks, do you remember the name, joined the board. She was the lady who was charged for phone hacking mm -hmm. um, in the news of the world. And we're legally required to say cleared of all charges, I imagine. Um, so, yeah, she's joined the board. Um, nice and trustworthy. So, yeah, I think, yeah, <laughs> well, she's cleared of all charges, not guilty. <laughs> Um, so the, the good numbers I've seen is that the year-on-year -year sales are up seventy-two percent. Um, it looks like they're going to they're going to drum up about four hundred million in revenue this year, which gives them a price to sales of two, which is it's just not an awful lot for a tech company. Um, the closest competitor I can find is a company in the U.S. called Magnite, uh, or used to be known as the Rubicon Project. Now their website is a trip. You should really go and look at the Rubicon Project if you get if you get a spare uh, moment or two. Um, but Magnite is um, trading at seven times the market cap of Tremor and has 40% less sales, so looks pretty well priced. So, do you know this company itself, is it, do you think it's competing against the old school traditional media companies as well? I mean, I know Clearcast do offline advertising and they have like slideshow banners yeah. and stuff on, hmm. you know, those big, big kind of um, within the cities on those big tellies. Um, are they competing against those guys? 
it's not really that that they're after. It's more after a homeowner. Um, so they use a, a data program called Alfonso, which um, and that basically that takes together user data and serves up um, like a target market essentially, and then people can then bid on that to have their advertisement shown in front of. And it's meant to be a lot more um, accurate than than just using a single bidding platform, like just going to Google or just going to Bing if that's your poison. Um, yeah, so that's the idea behind the business. And and are these adverts displayed as like the standby? So let's say you've got a Roku uh, box or even Roku in your TV. Is that where the adverts are being placed instead of you know your favorite, um, uh, you know your favorite photo reel, which is what my Google Chromecast does? Are they trying to put the adverts right there? Yeah, it's like a pre-stream broadcast. So essentially, in America, because um, we 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 wouldn't, I don't think we'd accept paying for something and then seeing adverts. It's it's very difficult for for us to imagine in the UK. But essentially, this is go on your smart TV, pick a program you want to watch, and you will be shown um, a video beforehand, an advertisement beforehand, perhaps two advertisements beforehand, and um, it'll be either Magnite. Um, Tremor or or one of the other companies that that chooses that advert. That's very interesting because I've always wondered how Roku's going to extend its um, its earnings with uh, a subscription service or an advertising service. And I can see actually that's that'd be a really good way for Roku to continue that on uh, using a company like this. That's that's very interesting. Okay, so we'll move on. Uh, we had a question from one of the users in the comments below by the way uh if you enjoyed this podcast um feel free to give it a like on the youtube video and it'd be lovely if you're listening to this to drop a review on it i think you can either like it give it a thumbs up or give it five stars or something like that. we would love you to give us five stars that'd be amazing but uh you can ask a question uh, in the comments below the YouTube video and Slain has done this uh, and asks what are your thoughts on REITs and with a likely property market correction coming once the stamp duty release and furlough ends uh, is, pop is property going to get a lot more expensive or is there a buying opportunity coming up uh, he would love to hear our thoughts so What's going to be happening with um, housing, retail, and REITs, uh, particularly in the UK after fur after furlough uh, at furlough ends? Aren't, aren't they just continuing on furlough? Like it seems to be an endless. <laughs> oh, we're just going to have furlough now. As um, what's the Asian guy in America uh, wants the. Uh, universal basic income we're just going to use fur uh, furlough scheme as universal basic income now and just pay everyone everything for life furlough's got to end pretty soon um, I think lockdowns probably have to end pretty soon and I think Bojo pushing the vaccination thing that's going to end uh, we've got the budget coming up uh, stamp duty may or may not go i think it will because the housing market is on its way back i'm sorry steve because i think uh you're planning on buying a house soon really aren't you <laughs> uh so yeah so stamp i think stamps stamp duty release it's uh days are numbered uh but what do we think about REITs? what do we think the property market in the uk where do we think it's going what are the trends we're seeing anyone got anything on that I mean, I certainly wouldn't be buying any of the REITs in the UK. There's, there is a distinct lack of quality in the standard sort of retail, office, and residential REITs in the in the UK. I'm, I'm not overly a fan of office REITs anyway at the moment because I think that that's a trend, a general trend, um, that even if we don't all go back to work in the office, that's still a damage to to office REITs. And I think there is pretty much. I think Spotify today have came out and said. Um, 
you can choose to work however you choose, even when this all finishes and it all goes away. If you prefer to work at home, you can continue to work at home. And, and I think that's just a trend that's going to continue. I think what a lot of businesses are finding out that productivity has actually gone up. Um, and that's a, a big problem for sort of a centralized working space. Yeah, I actually had a recalled workspace Um I really did consider getting into it. I think I did at one point and I sold out immediately once I realized uh, I was making a big mistake because the trend from work to home, that was pre-COVID. In my mind, that was pre-COVID. We had the technology. The technology was all there to start working. You know, call centers or customer service centers could all be done from home. And I think that trend was started and COVID has just accelerated that, right? So... Any sort of office REITs right now, any um, brick and mortar retail REITs, uh, sadly, we've had a few go bust just last year, I think. I would be there to avoid, but are there any good sectors? Do you think there's any good real, real estate investment trusts out there for the UK right now? I'm also struggling across the UK. I mean, I had to look a bit more broadly because I really enjoyed thinking about Sloane's question uh, for what it's worth. And I think the kind of take I came up on on REITs is perhaps slightly different to some of yours. So, I mean, if we're thinking sort of more broadly than the UK for Sloane, I was thinking that REITs are going to struggle for a little bit, especially sort of US sided. I would expect them to struggle while they've got quite high inflation and they've got quite high growth because REITs don't really grow. It's hard to grow a business if you have to give away 90% of your income as a dividend. Um, so REITs are usually thought of as kind of fairly defensive investments. I think if we see sort of US inflation starting to run out of control, which it might because they have been printing and printing and printing and printing, then we might see a bit more of a kind of move towards sort of defensive assets like REITs, like like utilities a bit. But REITs have held up better than utilities lately. Um, so I was thinking sort of us sided uh it's not the worst time in the world to be looking at some REITs. they're not going to do well for a little while but if you're patient then you'll find some opportunities i think that the sort of brick and mortar retail is slightly more of a mixed bag than you do i think paul i think there are some kind of good things hidden in there a little bit i think some of them are in trouble some of them are not the one that i like is called agree realty um they're kind of the smaller version of realty income um they have a market cap of about three billion. Realty income has a market cap of about twenty-one. They have some nice clients like Costco and Walmart and Seven Eleven and so on. So I don't think they're in too much trouble with uh, problems to do with their tenants. And one of the things that really jumped out at me here is all through twenty twenty, they've been having insiders buying this stock left, right, and centre. Uh, their directors are busy loading up, and across the kind of REIT sector the opposite's happening. So American Tower, which we kind of like and watch quite enthusiastically, is a sea of red in terms of insider selling through 2020. Equity Residential, which I like, has started slowing down insider selling, but it's seen a lot of it. Um, and general briskord favourite Digital Realty has been insider selling forever from what I can see of it. Um, people like shipping that out. Uh, so... I was kind of keen on um, Agree Realty. I think it's kind of priced about right. If I was looking somewhere for a REIT, I'd be looking there. There's a little bit of a wrinkle with their dividend, which I'll kind of let people look into themselves just to give them a chance to have a little bit of their own uh, chance to research on this sort of thing. But that's something that's curious and worth checking out, I reckon. Yeah, trends-wise with REITs in general, um, Agree is one which I, I haven't spent enough time on to... No, but I know you've you've spoken about it a lot in the Discord, haven't you? And obviously, digital realty uh, is one which I bought stupidly high, um, but that was my fault. Um, but what about uh, warehouse REITs? Uh, there's two very popular UK warehouse REITs. Uh, one of my favourites is Segro, but also the most popular would be Tritax Big Box and Tritax Eurobox. Have they gone too much too fast? Uh, are they going to bail out? Uh, are they going to be bailed out by Amazon and all the online workspace? What do we think? Has anyone got any ideas on that? I'm going to add a third UK-based, not UK-based REIT, but a REIT that is in the UK. And that tends to be the trend, is that the best REITs um, get bought by a, a US conglomerate and continue to operate in the UK. So if you if you want the best UK um, or the US REIT that operates in the UK for warehousing, that's Prologis. Um they have the best, the biggest 
uh, best warehouses, biggest warehouses, best clients, and they operate um, globally. And for data centers, as sad as it is, again, there is no UK that I know of um, based re for, for data centers. Um, it's Equinix is probably the, the best data center in the um, in in the UK. Um, just in the US, yeah. It's well, it's uh, U US, but UK has UK um, data centers oh, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's one of those stocks where you can be put off by the headline price. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's um, very hard to value them because uh, how's Prologis value doing? It's probably way, way up there at the minute. Yeah, it's, it's not a trade Yeah, it must be the only REIT that's done really, really well, um, other than data centers, obviously, because data centers, in my opinion, have just gone too high too fast. And like you say, Equinix is the only one which you can even pertain to be anywhere near the uk because it's just the one that use it again it's a problem with the uk at the moment absolutely does not have its finger on the pulse of tech and data centers would be a very easy one for a uk reit to have picked up but they just didn't they they just so the uk was just so slow off the mark on that one and now unfortunately i think us companies own data centers in the uk and i don't think they're going to budge from it so you know as well from. they've uh, they've snapped yeah. up digital realty has pretty much snapped up all the data centers um in the eu um it's just the way it is isn't it? i think we're about to see our first tech stock appear in the FTSE 100 if depending on the valuation and that looks like that'll be deliveroo <laughs> oh god yeah so i'm thinking does that... Ocado not count as a tech anymore then Someone no. tried to count them as a tech because <laughs> they had a warehouse, I think, and a computer yeah. or something. They, like have that. A, they have a robot picker or something, don't they? That makes it tech. It's a shame yeah. that Arrival didn't didn't get to, I think, to IPO in, in the UK. I think Arrival would have been in. Uh, as much as that, I think it's, it's one of the most overvalued companies um, I've seen. I think it's quite interesting in that it is British, and it would have been nice to have seen that in the, in the FTSE or, or wherever. Yeah, Arrival is um, a very good example of what's wrong with the UK as far as the market goes right now because um, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine about this actually uh, not so long ago and Arrival was a good company I and I think every single one of us that's sat in this room right now would have seen that video that was on YouTube probably six or seven months before the SPAC was announced and we all looked at Arrival and we went, this looks like a good company. This looks like it's got a great product. Yeah, and we thought, oh my God, it's British. It's got an excellent product. Uh, it was it was workhorse adjacent. Uh, so it kind of had something, it had something going for it. Uh, and then it goes and announces that it's going to be on the New York Stock Exchange. You know, the closest thing we've got to a tech company now and it's going on the new york stock exchange and that's what the others are doing that's what everybody else is doing uh, you've got argo that's going doing its best to get on new york uh it, is it going to go otc or is it all already it is, gone OTC, OTC, it, 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 oh, yeah, it is already, already yeah I think people were looking for uh, out of hours arbitrage on that because it's otc had run up after the uk markets had closed ah there you go yeah um what we're saying, we're recording this on the Monday while the US uh, markets are closed for Donald Trump Day. And it's, uh, yeah, so we're expecting, you're expecting Argo to go up because there's just, uh, there's more activity. Oh, no, we did see it going up today, sorry, um, because the UK markets were the only ones open today. There was GAN uh, as well. I think GAN, they delisted from the AIM, didn't they? And they went and uh, listed on the NASDAQ as well. And that's it. We're seeing we're seeing a flood of money out of the UK. Out the tech stocks do not want to be in the UK. The ones that started here, and that's got to be a bad sign for production in the UK in general, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a few months ago now that um, Steve D and I were looking at some Morningstar UK YouTube videos, and we were thinking what a miserable job that has to be trying to pick out stocks in the FTSE 100 that are going to go up and I mean, I like Morningstar by the way I think a lot of their content is really really good um, I like reading it I think about it carefully I think they're good guys 
But trying to be the person who says, right, look at this FTSE thing that's going up in the next week or so, that's got to be a tough gig. Oh, yeah. And when I, when I first started looking at um, stock news, and I, I, I barely look at them now, but I, I, I always take a sneaky look. But Motley Fool UK. Oh, <laughs> I was waiting for you to say this. <laughs> I, know, I, I was waiting for you to say this. I knew you thought that was coming. The funny thing is, is that the difference between the US Motley Fool and the UK Motley Fool is ridiculous. Like the the UK Motley Fool is buy Lloyds Bank, buy Aviva, and buy this other this other stock, and it was it's going to fill your ISA with gold. And the U the US one, they're they're pulling out like great new tech stocks like accolade pinterest pinterest is a big pinterest one of their one of their big picks c limited which went from 30 to to 220 mercado libra from 16 dollars to 1900 dollars or whatever it is now these are all u.s motley full picks and we've got lloyd's bank aviva barclays (laughs) (laughs) why is our motley full so shit is is it because of them? Is it because of them? Is it because they're sitting there going, oh, you know, you've just got some. I don't know who they are. I've I've never even looked into them. But are they sitting there looking at the looking at the price and going, oh, price is down. Price must eventually go up, and that's what they're doing. They're just calling on Lloyd's Bank because of that. Well, I think it's all it's all computer generated. It seems all computer generated. It seems to have the same stats in it every time. And I think mm. it's literally some guy running an algorithm putting Rupert Hargreaves on as a name or Timothy Spittleworth because he sounds like he's going to be a good stock investor. And really it's just one guy running an algorithm going, Today it's and- going to be Lloyd's Bank. Today it's going to be Barclays. <laughs> and then they never seem to have a position in any of the stocks as well, which is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's it. It's uh- well, it's either that or it's because I don't know if they've got a podcast or a YouTube channel where they talk about it or anything. Um, I don't think they do. Not like in the US. The US one is really uh, quite valuable. Yeah, it's really quite valuable when you when you look at it. I don't look at it very often because it tends to be like quite long, drawn out and boring. But um, yeah, it's, it, it seems to be really valuable in comparison to the UK stuff. And like you say, it seems to, is it just because it's algorithmic or is it because there's literally nothing to invest in in the UK at the moment? Is, is there really nothing? I think there is. I think you just have to kind of dig a bit. And if you're wanting to run algos and run things that people have heard of, um, <laughs> I think of Motley Fool UK as a kind of entry level thing and people want to buy stuff they've heard of and be told it's a decent buy. But I'm not sure that's the right thing to be doing just at the moment. The idea is yeah, that, that they funnel you onto the paid platform, isn't it? That's the thing. They're, they're, they're trying to get your attention and they're going to tell you that Lloyd's is going to go up 7% a year and then you scroll to the bottom of the article and they've found something that they think is going to go up 853% in a year. And the idea is that you would maybe buy Lloyd's Bank It would because Lloyd's Bank isn't going to go down much more than it is. It might go up <laughs> 2 or 3% and you think, God, these guys know what they're talking about. Hey, self-fulfilling <laughs> prophecy. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I think Peter Lynch would disagree with you there. <laughs> they did one once mention um, a growth stock uh, games games workshop, which was an interesting one. They've made a call there if they did because I think that's doing really well, right? Game yeah, workshop. that is uh, that's one of our one of our good ones, I guess. Growth yeah. stocks, and they're mm. still on the uh, they're still in the UK. So, <laughs> I mean, they're going to stay here, aren't they? Because they've got a lot of retail shops here as well. So. Mm. But yeah, um, their quarterly reports are excellent. Uh, there's there's something about reading a director who is he's, he's got so much humility. He's like doesn't really know how he's got there. Although I, such, I think he's a lot smarter than than he sort of tries to come across. But he's always kind of like future projections. Not really sure, but I think we'll do quite well. <laughs> but that, yeah, but that's the thing, though, right? Because they like they like they, aren't they just basically um, the gamers themselves, and then they basically just build up a company. And then um, yeah, they've kept they it. They've kept it pretty much uh, nil nil debt. Um, and that's what one thing that they kept always mentioning as well uh, after each report. We have no debt. We know what we're doing. Um, we'll just keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. Sorry, are they exporting to the the US? Worldwide, aren't they? Yeah, is that what it is? It's an export business more than you know, guys like. I think a lot of their be. money comes from because um, they're they're. 
packs and stuff are like starter packs are like 100, 100 quid plus and it's a, oh yeah it's basically a case of um upselling they absolutely go mental on upselling i read um i read it um a thread where one of the workers was explaining how they do the upselling and they had quotas and targets and they were extremely aggressive and i think that's part of their um strategy to kind of uh push push these bundles out um but yeah no very very aggressive sales strategies all right i think we'll end it on that note uh thank you very much for listening to the fourth episode of the playing footsie podcast you can listen to this on google apple spotify uh, and you can also see it on my YouTube channel, uh, Paul Briscoe. Uh, if you do like what you've heard today, uh, feel free to give it a thumbs up. Uh, leave a five-star like. Please leave a five-star like. Please, please. Uh, and if you have a question for us that you would like us to answer, feel free to leave it in the comments below the YouTube channel version of the podcast. Uh, thank you very much for listening today. Uh, as usual, I think that was a pretty good episode for us and we'll always keep trying to improve this. Thank you very much.